Ezekiel chapter 16, but before we get there, you know, there are things that tend to maybe dominate or overshadow when we lose focus of, uh, you know, what, what about some other d- different factors. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but, you know, sometimes we'll say, you know, Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls. You know, well, did Tom Brady really win seven Super Bowls or did Tom Brady and his team win seven Super Bowls? You know, we just often think of Tom Brady and not necessarily the team. Or, you know, maybe we'll say, you know, the president signed this bill into action, right? But, well, was it just the president or was there a whole process where maybe the Senate and the House and the president all had to sign that into action? But we only focus on the president. Or, or maybe you'd say something to the effect of, you know, that, that doctor saved my life. Well, again, was it simply the doctor or was it the doctor and the nurses and maybe the 911 dispatch? But again, we we tend to only focus on the one piece. Well, one of the most well-known stories in the Bible in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and I know we're very familiar with this account. And maybe when you think of this account, there's that one sin that comes to mind. Right? It begins with these angels. They come to Abraham, of course, and they, they look like men and they appear before him. And, you know, they're talking about this great promise that, that, that you know, the Lord has made that uh, one day they're going to have a child in their old age. And, and after that, they start to talk about uh, these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 20, and I, I know I told you to be in Ezekiel, but uh, just quickly, just giving some overview, in, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, the Lord said that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly great, and I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Right? So, so now the angels and Abraham, they're having this discussion about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Was it as really as bad as it has reached into heaven? And of course it was. And so we know that two of those angels went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they come upon Lot. Now, now Lot, of course, is the nephew of Abraham. The, the New Testament tells us that he was a righteous man. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to think about that because on one hand, he, he pitches his tent towards Sodom. You know, he, he goes and kind of lives in the area a little bit. But again, the New Testament tells us that in Second Peter chapter 2, that he was tormented by that city. And so it's just odd that he lived in that area. And I don't think he, personally, this is my opinion, I don't think that he had intentions of being involved with the sinful nature of Sodom and Gomorrah. We, we know that he raised two daughters in, in that culture who were uh, described in the, in the book of Genesis as virgins. But you recall that they're there in Sodom and Gomorrah and those, those angels, they come to Lot and the city folks see them, these strangers, and they want to know them, right? The Bible says they, they want to have relations with them. They want to know them carnally, the New King James says. And Lot does everything he can to try to protect them. Of course, he offers, you recall, he offers his, his, his daughters to them. And, you know, again, the, the New Testament lets us know that Lot was a righteous man. You know, he, he may have been in a tight position. He might have had to make sort of an on-the-fly decision. You know, and sometimes we make bad decisions. I think that's what Lot did right here is he made a very big mistake, a bad decision, but that was fine because the angels could take care of themselves. And you re- remember this, right? They, they blinded all those men of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the next day, of course, they, they tell Lot, you need to get out of the city, right? You need to get out of here because we are gonna, uh, the God's going to rain fire and brimstone from heaven and destroy these cities. 
But of course, Lot had family there. And they sort of, some of them didn't believe Lot when he told them that we need to get out of here. They took their time a little bit and the angels had to grab their hand and kind of pull them out of there and say time to go. See the picture above? I was kind of contemplating on this picture. I kept going back and forth uh, using this as sort of my, uh, the image of this lesson because, you know, when, when, so- when Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, it was, of course, his wife and his two daughters. And, uh, and you can see there, I hope you can see that, there's the sort of the, the image of the pillar of salt. Remember Mrs. Lot? She, she turns around and she looks when she was told not to turn around, and she turns into that image of that pillar of salt. And so then I was wondering, well, then who's the, the extra person in there? And I think that first person up here on your far left uh, is one of the angels, right? He, he's holding Lot's hand and directing him out of the city. And so again, I was kind of worried uh, about uh, maybe putting an unscriptural picture, picture up here, but I think that's what's happening. I think that's the angel who, who's, who's uh, got his hand. He's pulling him out of the city, saying, get out of here. And of course, again, brimstone and fire rains down from heaven. Chapter 19, verse 24 lets us know that. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and those wicked cities were destroyed. Right? And again, we know that Mrs. Lot turns back and she's turned into that pillar of salt. Again, we know this story, right? a story that we know from a young age. And we say, you know, again, that they were destroyed, right? Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of the sin of homosexuality. And now while that is true, while homosexuality played a part in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, some are surprised to learn that that wasn't the only reason. Are you aware of, uh, uh, of these other sins that took part here in Sodom and Gomorrah that the Bible uh, lets us know was part of that destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? The, these forgotten sins, if you will. And that's why we're, we're going to look at this passage here in Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 48 and 50, 48 through 50, because it lets us know about these other sins that, again, you know, we just think of that one glaring sin, but we forget about these others. And when you read these others, I wonder if you're going to do what I did and think, wow, wait a minute. I mean, these are sins that I struggle with. These are sins that I see other Christians struggling with. And if these are the reasons why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, why God rained fire and brimstone out of heaven, you know, maybe I need to take notice. So look at this. And again, I hope this challenges us because, again, we get caught up so many times when we think about sin and we start to classify sin and we say, well, well, this is a big sin and this is a little sin. Or we say this is a popular sin and everyone's doing it and this is a not so popular sin. But I want this to challenge us this, this evening to look at these forgotten sins. Again, look at Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 48. And notice God, through the prophet Ezekiel speaking here, says... As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Now, kind of give you some context here. Uh, Ezekiel is using, um, he's speaking to Jerusalem, right? And so he's using Sodom uh, as sort of this analogy as your sister, your sister Sodom, Jerusalem, he says here. And this is an insult, of course. He says here in verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. But she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. And therefore I removed them when I saw it. 
Again, when, when, when Ezekiel is re- talking to the people of Jerusalem and says, listen, your sister Sodom, you know, again, that was an insult to them because they knew what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and to those cities. But remember, what happened to them, you know, it could happen to you. But again, we, we are so focused on that story about the sin uh, of sodomy, of homosexuality that's going on during that time, that maybe we miss these other things that God says was part of Sodom and Gomorrah. The arrogance, right? the haughtiness, the abundance of food. They did not help the poor and the needy and the careless ease. And so that's what I want to talk to us about here this evening, so that you and I don't forget about those forgotten sins. Yeah, yes, they, they committed abominations, right? They, they, I highlighted that in blue, right? They, they committed abominations. There's no doubt about that. Jude verse 7 in the New Testament reaffirms that. But there were other sins that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah that, that resulted in their downfall. Well, let's talk about those. Number one, the sin of pride. The sin of pride. Proverbs 16 verse 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a big deal to God. It's a huge deal. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says pride is an abomination to the Lord. Well, the passage you know, we just talked about talked about how homosexuality was an abomination to the Lord. Well, Proverbs 16 verse 5 also says that pride is an abomination to the Lord. And whenever you read about those lists in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know when you come upon those lists that, that talk about all of these, these wicked deeds, you know? Arrogance, pride seems to always be in those lists. Right? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it talks about those six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven of them are an abomination to him. And the first one he lists is haughty eyes. Right? God hates those with haughty eyes. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, when Jesus is talking about those things that come from within, that defile a man, you know, those things that start in the heart, one of those things that he mentions is pride. In Romans chapter 1, verse 30, he, he talks about arrogance, boastfulness, right? These are things that he lists with murder and idolatry and sorcery. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the apostle John really, uh, he puts all sins in these three different buckets, Right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Right? Any sin that you can think of listed in Scripture would fit in one of those buckets. And one of those buckets, again, is the boastful pride of life. There's no question that God hates arrogance. I mean, it's hypocrisy. You know, arrogance, haughtiness, it's saying that you know more than God. Right? And those who witness haughtiness, those who witness arrogance, it drives them away, doesn't it? Well, friends, God doesn't need people who drive them away from him. God needs people who draws people to him. Pride drives people away from the mission of the church. It does. There's no place for pride in the church. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when Paul's writing to that church there, and remember there's that individual who had his, 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 his father's wife? And you remember what Paul said there when he was writing to them? He's saying, listen, you guys are proud of this. You guys are arrogant about this. You should be mourning about this, but but you're you're puffed up. They should have been encouraging that individual to repent, to stop that, to come home. But they weren't. They were arrogant about it. And Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of this sin as well, (laughs) this sin of pride. And we have to understand that we might be too. Right? When we sin collectively as a nation, 
there's no place for pride. Right? When our nation is collectively sinning, that should be a time for humility, time for prayer, a time for intercession. We ought to be praying for our nation. We ought to be praying for the moral direction that our nation's going into, regardless of the political parties. And we think, you know, can we, can we muster pride here in America? And I'm just as red, white, and blue as any of us here, right? But, uh, but what are the things that are going on with unborn children in this country? What, 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 are, what about the things about redefining marriage in this country? What about the legalization of, you know, mind-altering drugs that you see states passing over and over again? And now, am I saying we need to renounce our citizenship? Absolutely not. But we should be humbly asking God to be patient with us. And when we do those things, when we promote these things, we're telling God that we know better than him. We're being arrogant. We're being prideful. See, pride runs counter to the spirit of godliness. You know, in the game of chess, and I'm not a chess expert, but you know, you have the pawns and the kings and queens and bishops and rooks, and I'm probably forgetting some other ones, but you know what happens when you're done playing chess? They all go back in the same box. The king and queen don't have their own separate place. They go in there the same as the pawns. Romans 12 verse 3 tells us we ought not to think more highly than of ourselves than we ought to. So friends, this evening we want to remind ourselves, don't forget pride is a sin that led to Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. And we need to uh, make sure that, that, that we're not following in that direction. Again, here's the second one that he mentions in Ezekiel chapter 16, and that's of selfishness. Right? The pride, their pride may be connected to their wealth. Did you get that idea that they were wealthy? Again, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 49, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. They had abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. They had abundance of food. Yet they weren't helping the poor and needy. Friends, no nation is blessed as the United States of America. Now, I've never been to a third world country. Maybe you have. But, I, but I've been told that, you know, um, you have no idea what they experience until you experience for yourself. You know, they would love, absolutely love to come here to America to have the things that we have. The things that we take for granted Right? They would do anything for. Well, every sincere Christian, I think, in this life have struggled with this idea of wealth and compassion. Right? You see someone who may be panhandling on the street, and you wonder, should I help the individual? Right? Should, should I give him that $5 that maybe I'm not going to be using? But then maybe you think, well, maybe he, he's grifting. And maybe he's trying to con people. And you do, is he truly in need? Right? We, we struggle with that. Because we have so much of an abundance, what do we do with it? How can I live in abundance and look at others who have nothing and not be touched about that? Now again, I'm not talking about you know, the idea of socialism this evening. I'm not talking about redistributing wealth or anything of that nature. But you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26? We're always going to have the poor with us. You'll always have the poor with you, and even in this great nation, we've got to guard against selfishness. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know you know verse 10 
extremely well. We read it often. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But then drop down to verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17, Paul tells Timothy, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul doesn't say here in these verses, those who are rich, you know, get rid of your money. You know, he doesn't say that at all, but he says, if you are, just make sure that you're doing good works with those things. Right? Be generous. Be ready to share. Use it to help others. And God will reward you, Paul says. Don't be hoarders with what I gave you, but bless others with it. Use your riches and your talents and blessings to glorify God. Turn with me to James chapter 5 real quick. In James chapter 5, again, the same idea here is being taught by a different gospel writer, but he's talking about the misuses of riches here in James chapter 5. And he's talking to those who may be rich in this present world. And he says to them, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasures. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And I love that in verse 3 where, where James says, Listen, your gold and silver, they're rusting. Right? The idea here is back then, you didn't take your money to the bank. You, you know, if you had riches, gold and silver, you went and you buried it in the ground. And he's telling these rich individuals here, listen, that rust that's accumulating on that gold and silver, that's going to be a witness against you one day. Because you had these riches. You had the opportunity to help the poor and needy, but you left it in the ground. You left it in the ground and you didn't let it bless anyone. You, you could have helped individuals, but you didn't. Friends, you and I say that we want to be just like the first century church in everything, don't we? In the way that we, we act, the way that we love, the way that we worship. You know, we teach that all the time, right? We want to go back to the Bible. But what about in our giving? You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? There, on the first day of the week, each one of us is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, uh, listen, that church in Philippi, you know, they gave out of their poverty. But yet, when it comes to our giving, we don't want to be like the first century church, do we? But friends, as we see here in Ezekiel chapter 16, don't forget that selfishness is a sin that led to Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. And again, don't let that ease into your life. And then finally, the last sin that we noticed there back in Ezekiel chapter 16 was the sin of idleness. Again, notice here uh, in that verse, in verse 49, he talks about their careless ease. 
their, their careless ease. Your translation might say their prosperous ease, their abundance of idleness. They were unconcerned. Right? The idea here is they were doing nothing to make the world better. They were just sitting back and relaxing. There is a time for rest, and there is a time for work. Obviously, God's saying to them is they were idle, and they shouldn't have been idle. Right? They should have been doing something. Their buckets were full, and they were kicked back. And you, you remember in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus gives that parable of the rich fool? You remember this? There, there's that man who has, well, he had a good year farming, and he needed some new um, places to store his grain. And so he goes and he tears down uh, his old barns, and he builds up these brand new ones. And you know he's thinking to himself, I've got many goods laid up in store for a while. I'm good, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, he says. But the point of that parable that Jesus was trying to get across is that, listen, storing up treasure for yourself does not make you rich towards God. Rest comes after work, not before. Have you ever gone to your job and immediately took a break? You don't do that, do you? I mean, you go and you punch in and you start to work and maybe you get a break a little bit later. John chapter 9 verse 4, Jesus reminds us that night is coming when no one can work. And if we are not careful, if the New Testament church is not careful, we can be accused of careless ease as well in the kingdom's work. Would you characterize yourself as a worker in God's kingdom? I mean, just ask yourself that evening, what if someone was looking at you and would they say, now that individual, he's a worker or she's a worker. If there's something that needs to be done, ask her. Or if you ever moved into a new congregation and you went to uh, maybe the elders or the leadership and you said, put us to work. Our family wants to work. We want to labor in the kingdom. Or would people look at you and say, well, you know, they're, they're just the tenders. Uh, they're not, they can't be counted on to work. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 reminds us that therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Paul says we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Right? Not sometimes doing a little here, a little there, but always abounding. Again, think of this idea of idleness. You know, do a word search on that. Look up the word idleness in the New Testament, and you're going to find that a lot of times when it comes up, there's another word that often comes up, and it's gossip. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, Paul lets us know that idleness leads to gossip. It leads to people being busybodies, taking, or excuse me, talking about things that are not proper to mention. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, the word idleness comes up again, and it says those who are idle are living lives of undisciplined lifestyles. And again, they're acting like busybodies. They're not doing the work of the Lord. If you're always abounding in the work of the Lord, you have no time for those things. Paul says, always be abounding. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. I don't know if you, you listen to Dave Ramsey, but you know, he has this saying that he'll, he'll say sometimes, but God feeds the birds, but he doesn't throw the worms into the nest. Right? And the idea there is, listen, God's going to provide for you. God's going to bless you, but you've got to work. You've got to put your hand to the plow. He's not going to just throw you those worms. You've got to go and get those worms. You've got to go and dig them up. You've got to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so again, another lesson that we can learn here tonight from the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is that idleness was part of the reason why they were destroyed. 
Don't forget, idleness is a sin that led to their destruction as well. Again, I know when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, when we think of Genesis chapter 19, we think of, of course, them being destroyed because of the sin of homosexuality that took place. But friends, that wasn't all. That wasn't the full picture. Maybe it was a fourth of it. But they were also removed by God because of their pride, because of their selfishness, and because of their idleness. And again, we want to ask ourselves this question tonight. Does that apply to us? Uh, the idea of homosexuality, it might not uh, be something that you struggle with. It might not be something you ever struggled with. Or, or murdering, or stealing, or adultery, or drunkenness. But what about those forgotten sins? While, while we look at you know, murder sort of in a different light than you know, the sin of gluttony, we have to remember that all unrepentant sin, all unrepentant sin will get us to the same place and will keep us out of the same place. And while we never would have ever considered of ourselves being guilty of the sins of Sodom, again, when we look at Ezekiel chapter 16, maybe we take a closer look. It's not just those outrageous sins that gets God's disapproval, but again, idleness, selfishness, pride, things that you you and I all struggle with. Friends, we need to continue to expunge those things from our lives. Humble yourself. If you have a pride problem, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let him exalt you. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe we need to start looking to others first rather than ourselves. Or maybe it's idleness. Maybe that's a problem that you have. Get to work. Get to work in the church. There's always something to be done. Again, don't allow these sins that appear obscure and possibly insignificant to rob us of our eternal reward. And this evening, as we think on these things, as we close out this lesson, as we offer the invitation, maybe someone here this evening is uh, ready to put Christ on baptism. Maybe uh, you're ready to become a Christian, to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism behind myself, and we would love to assist you with that. Or, Or maybe this evening, maybe these are some of the sins that you may be struggling with. Again, maybe you didn't necessarily know that these were things that God said uh, that you need to work on, that you need to get out of your life. Pridefulness, selfishness, idleness. Maybe you want to rededicate your life to Christ. And maybe you want to say, listen, I, I don't want to be idle anymore. You know, I want to be a worker for the Lord. Well, again, what better time to do that than tonight? Again, to come before your brothers and sisters and say, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus, to his church. And I want everyone to know that, and I want everyone to support me in that and to help me with that. And we would love to pray for you and help you as well as together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.